0: Well, it's again nice to welcome you all to our service. Can can I mention just two other uh, announcements? Uh, One is a a congregational meeting on the 29th of January at 7.30, which will be followed by our prayer meeting. And there's one item of business, and that's the co-opting of Sam Strain as an elder of Rachel Presbyterian Church. The second um, announcement is is about our Christianity Explored, and we've just got hot off the press, our. Um, invitations. Now, this is where we need you to invite folk uh, to come along. Can I say that um, those of us who are involved in, in running this down in Cafe Casa have the joy of seeing people come to faith on a regular basis uh, in, in Christianity Explored. That's an absolute joy. But the, the other joy that we have is, is seeing people um, who, who have brought friends and the sheer joy that they feel that, that God is using them to invite their friends to something like this. So it's a double joy. You, you don't see that, folks. Well, I, I'm sorry you can't, but I, I wish you could because it is an absolute thrill to be part of this, see people come to faith, to see others used to bring people to faith. So why don't you really build up the courage, take the invitation, put it in the hand of someone, bring them along, and see what God might do The invitations are all over the place there uh, in the foyer. Grab and use, please, Um, Christianity Explored. And keep praying for it, too. Right, let's um, pray together before we uh, turn to God's Word. Father, thank you again for the privilege of being here as a church family. We are rich indeed because you have given us Jesus. You have given us the revelation of the Scriptures. You have given us the Holy Spirit who helps us. You've given us the church be part of. We are rich. Bless us now as we study your Word together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus is proving who He is. He's proving who He is. He's proving beyond doubt that He is the King, the Messiah, the Savior, and the God that we need because only God could do these supernatural fates. And what we see here in these two chapters is Jesus cleanses a leper. Jesus healed two paralytics. He healed a fever. He calmed a storm. He cast out demons. He raised a dead girl. He gave sight to two blind men. He restored speech to a dumb man. And many other, many other Miracles beyond that. Matthew 8 and 9 are critical in helping us understand the life and ministry of Jesus. And in the midst of the many miracles that were performed uh, in this period, we are given details of nine, just nine. Give us a flavor of what Jesus did. Three groups of three. And we're now with the second set of three. A storm on a lake, two demon-possessed men, and one paralytic sinner. And within each of these three miracles, there are lots of responses and detail given. There's lots of fear. We'll notice that. Lots of fear. Fear of the storm. Fear of these demon-possessed men. Fear of sickness and even meeting Jesus as the paralytic was. But we also see responses after the storm. The disciples are amazed. What kind of man, they say? What kind of man is this? And the two demon-possessed men, it was the townspeople who responded. And they were angry, and and they were annoyed. Leave, they say. Get out of our sight. Chapter chapter 8, verse 34. And then the third response in the healing of the paralytic sinner comes from the crowds. They were filled with awe. Chapter 9 and verse 8. But what we're going to see here is Jesus ruling over creation. Already thought about that in the children's talk. Jesus judging evil. Jesus forgiving sin. The focus, of course, is not on the storms of life. The focus is not on demon possession, awful as it is. The focus is not on paralysis. The focus is on Jesus. His authority over creation. His authority over Satan. His authority over sin. And what Jesus is doing here is he's presenting a mass of evidence to prove who he is. Building up the case. This is who I am. Do you want to know who I am? This is who I am. See who I am. Believe who I am. The promised king. The Messiah. God. Let's, we have a lot to get through, so Let's think about the first miracle, Jesus ruling over creation in that story of the storm. It's a familiar story, especially if you've been to Sunday school, you would have heard the story many, many times. And many a sermon, many a talk has been preached about this event. And the conclusion, very often, maybe that you've heard, goes a wee bit like this. It's very simple. It goes like this. Jesus calmed the storm on the lake Therefore, he can calm all the storms in your life. As long as Jesus is in the boat of your life, then he will calm all the storms that you will face, that will buffet you as you go through life. Now, of course, there's some truth in that, isn't there? Jesus can be with us in the storms of life. Jesus does be with us in the storms of life. Jesus needs to be with us in the storms of life, but that's not the main point. That's not the main point. The main point is somewhat bigger than that, and the clue is given there in verse 27. The men were amazed. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So the question is, what kind of man is this? The answer, of course, really is, I am the Lord of creation. That's who I am. That's what you've got to learn. That's what you've got to remember. I am the Lord of creation. See, the miracles reveal who he is. Don't miss the point. In verses 23 and 24, we see there that without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Because of the, um, the, the low level of the Sea of Galilee and the hills around, there was a reason why these storms would, would these furious storms would, would come quickly and frequently and um, without warning. And Jesus and His disciples find themselves in this severe storm that threatened to take the boat down. But of course, remember who leads them into the storm. Shouldn't forget that either. Verse 23, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. What was the reason? Why did Jesus take them on a boat into a storm? Well, basically, for their benefit and for our benefit to teach them and us about him to teach them and us about our faith in him. Now, verse 25, there was obviously genuine fear. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Now, most of these guys were seasoned sailors, fishermen. They would have been in storms regularly, but there was a genuine fear that they were going to die. In fact, in Mark's account the disciples asked the question, don't you care? Don't you care that we drown? That's the wrong, that's the most awful, insulting question you could ever ask of Jesus. Don't you care, Jesus? Because Jesus could say, the reason I'm in the world, the reason why I am in the boat with you right now the reason that I'm going to go to the cross is because I do care. I do care a great deal. Now, often, uh, we think he, he doesn't care, don't we? We think He's forgotten us. We think He's not interested in us. And are we problems? And are we situations? that would be so wrong. Verse 26, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and was completely calm. See the purpose? I want you to show in the midst of a mega storm, I want you to show mega faith in a mega king. And guess what happens? When Jesus speaks, there was a mega calm, Dead cam, instant, complete. No gradual reduction, as there might have been naturally. One moment, Jesus is sleeping in the boat. The next moment, he commands the storm to stop. Could this be the king? Yes, he is the king. That's the point. Could this man really transform the physical world and the spiritual world? Yes, because He is the King. And what Jesus is saying is, friends, guys, disciples, among many other things, I want you to see that I am the Lord of creation. And let me show you. Genesis 1 God said, let there be light, and there was light. Here, God says, let there be calm, and there was calm. Why? <laughs> because it's the same Lord, the Lord of creation. Jesus speaks to a storm the way we would um, speak to a wee dog. You what? have to confess something? I'm becoming a dog lover in my old age. Is it a sign of weakness? I don't know. We Hudson got, I let him out of the house yesterday. He went running around mad like for 10 minutes, me trying to catch him with iron. And it was ridiculous. I have no control over a dog, let alone a storm. But Jesus spoke to the storm the uh, storm, the way we might speak to a wee dog. Be quiet and stay quiet. Isn't that what we say to dogs? Sit down and stay down. We try and say, the storm obeyed the maker of heaven and earth. What kind of man is this? He's creator God. That's who this man is. He is sovereign Lord. He is the real king. And the amazement is even the winds and the waves obey him. That's the kind of God we have in Jesus. And they knew that they were in the presence of divinity, this was no mere man. Jesus was worthy of awe. Do you know what Jesus is the answer to the world filled with fear and brokenness and lostness and blindness and selfishness and waste? Yes, even global warming. Who can bring an answer to that problem? Only the rule of Jesus. Ultimately, in the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth, but even in the meantime, only He can change our attitudes to how we use the world and abuse the world. We need to believe this that He is Lord over creation. And the world needs to see that we believe it. Now, <clears throat> sometimes I think we give the impression to the world that God is our kind of mate. He's, um, he's the big guy in the sky. He's a. Uh, the man above. I'm not so sure we are good at showing the world that we are amazed at Jesus. In fact, if you're never amazed at Jesus and you don't show it, then you don't really know him. Because if you really knew him, You would be amazed. And you would want people to experience him. Kevin DeYoung um, writes this There's only one thing scarier than being in a wee boat in a big storm, and that's to be in a wee boat in a big storm with a man who yells at the storm and it obeys him. Wow, what a God we have! Jesus, of course, entered the, um, the ultimate storm for us, going to the cross. And at the cross, you see, He destroyed destruction. He broke brokenness, and He killed death. That's what He did, because He is Lord over creation. And that's what you would expect of such a God, and that's what He did do. Are you amazed? Amazed? Is that your response? I am amazed at who He is. That he should want me and love me and save me. Who is he? Lord of creation. Are you shaken by the world? Are you in trouble in your heart and mind? Listen, look at the Lord of creation, and he will carry you through. Lord over evil are uh, judging evil, too, in this second story, in verses 28 to 34. This is another storm. This time the storm is not in the sea, but the storm is in the hearts and minds of two men. And here we witness the power of Jesus over evil. What we have here are three worlds meeting in this story of these two demonics. The, the, the underworld of evil spirits, which we find hard to understand the visible world of human experience that we have more understanding of, of course, and the upper world of divine control. These three things, evil spirits, human experience, and, of course, divine control, all brought together in the story of what Jesus can do and how He can show that He really is in control over evil. These guys sad as they were, lived among the tombs. Verse 28 tells us that. Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. The end of verse 28, of course, they caused great fear with their violent ways. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. So there was great fear in the whole community about these two men, as you might expect. The picture is of one of being completely uncontrollable. They couldn't control themselves, nor could they be controlled by others. Now, I think it's an important lesson. There is no such thing as constructive evil. There's no such thing as good or wise evil. Give yourself to sin, give yourself to evil, it will ultimately destroy you. Now, had these two guys dabbled in evil? It's a million, one of the million questions we could ask, but we just don't know the answer to. I mean, had they been involved in some kind of primitive natural drugs and led them into this condition? We, we don't, sorcery? We don't know. But something went wrong. And here's the problem, folks, and we're seeing it now right across our world. When people give themselves to sin, it destroys them. It possesses them. Now often, of course, we don't see it like this. Evil is very easy, sin is very attractive, we're very weak, and we have this perverse ability, even Christians, perverse ability to look at evil and even to do evil and not see it as evil. And therefore, we excuse our sin, and we even excuse the sin in the ones we love. If sin is not confessed, repented of, and is forgiven, then it'll destroy us. It'll destroy us. But the good news here is, of course, that the demons know uh, very quickly that they've met their match. Verse 29, what do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? They know that Jesus is the appointed judge who will judge at the appointed time. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? They ask, and the the answer is, yes, (laughs) actually, yes. Now, some see the the sending of the demons into the herd of pigs as an act of mercy. Actually, it was an act of judgment. With one word, Jesus judges evil. Probably the, I suppose, the shortest word that they could have used. Go, he says. Go! And in that one word, he judges evil. The evil that was destroying these two men. The sin that was destroying these two men. And of course, there's a stampede off the cliff into the sea. The same sea, by the way, that almost drowned Jesus and his disciples a few hours before. Verse 32. Go! So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. There's no contest here, was there, between Jesus and these demons? It's like a three-second knockout, faster than even Conor McGregor. Oh, dear. Maybe that was lost on some people. (laughs) Paul writes, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians 2. Do you know, folks, do do you know what God has given to you and to me and to us? As his people, we have the privilege of entering into Christ's victory over evil. We have the privilege of entering into Christ's victory over evil. He defeated the enemy, he disarmed them publicly, he came forth victoriously, and on the cross, he made a public spectacle of Satan and his limited power. Satan was utterly humiliated. Now, the Society for the Protection of Pigs would have been extremely annoyed at what happened that day. And also, of course, the townsfolk, they were they were annoyed. Um, they make a, a very negative response there in verse 34. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw Him, they pleaded with Him to leave their region. Leave, they say. do you get away, Jesus? Don't, don't you come near us. It seems they were more interested in pigs than they were in their neighbors in need. Grace, you see, was bad for the economy in this part of the world. Deliverance was bad for business. And so they say, Jesus, get out. You're going to cause more trouble than you're worth. It's sad and it's solemn. They preferred life without Jesus than life with Jesus. They basically said, we prefer our sin. We prefer our evil. Would you leave us just the way we are? Now, that's a strange request, isn't it? Leave. Leave but it's more common than we might think. Very often, we still hear, and even very often from churchy people, people who attend church regularly, but are not yet part of the kingdom, not part of Christ's kingdom, not saved by His grace, they say, Jesus, we want you close, but not too close. Don't interrupt my life. Please just leave me alone. I I, I want to have that crutch that I can use when it suits me, but please... I'm quite happy with you. And what we've got to see is we've got to get beyond that. We've got to run to the one who can say to the evil one, go, and evil must obey him. We've got to run to the one who says, hush to a storm, and the storm obeys him. He's Lord over evil, judging evil. Thirdly, Oops. I'm stuck here. Can you, can you move on to the next one? Yeah. He's also Lord over sin. And that's the story in chapter 9. We'll quickly go down through this. The world is a broken place. I think we know that. Broken homes, broken relationships, broken hearts, broken dreams, broken promises the world reveals it, if you're honest enough to look at it. The Bible explains it, and Jesus answers it. And here in this story in chapter 9, we have a broken man with a broken body and a broken soul, and he meets Jesus. Now, it's significant when Jesus returns across the lake, he didn't come into town to set up a healing school, and he didn't set up a miracle roadshow Sin was the real issue despite the appearances. Now his friends were caring and courageous and creative and committed. We've thought about that many years ago when we looked at Mark's story. But they believed that their friend's greatest need was his paralysis. The the guy can't walk. And that's what they wanted Jesus to deal with. So you can imagine the shock The shock when Jesus said to him, "Take heart, son. Stop fearing. Your sins are forgiven." Now the people saw the obvious problem. they couldn't walk, but they couldn't see his greater problem, the problem of a sin. But Jesus says, "His legs aren't his major problem. That's a minor problem in comparison to his real problem, which is that his soul is broken, broken by, contaminated by, controlled by sin. I need to sort his soul out before I sort his legs out. And Jesus put his finger on this man's and every man's and every woman's greatest need the need for forgiveness. Now, Jesus is not ignoring his legs, he's not disinterested in his legs. In fact, soon he's going to heal his legs. It's that he's more concerned about the man's greatest problem the problem of sin. Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 3 At at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Now, these guys who are the preacher men of the day should have said, Amen. Preach it, brother. The real issue is sin. The real issue is forgiveness. Preach it. But no, they rage. They show fury and anger because they couldn't and they wouldn't accept Jesus. They couldn't and wouldn't believe Jesus. And so Jesus, knowing exactly what was going on in their minds, he turns the table on them in verses 4 and 5. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now, I put this up so that we understand what Jesus is saying here. The forgiveness is invisible, and therefore, in theory, easier to perform, because you couldn't, you you wouldn't know whether the person's forgiven or not. Healing, on the other hand, is very visible and therefore is harder to perform because he'll either get up on his feet or he won't. So what Jesus says, I will prove that I can do the easier thing, which is to forgive, by doing the harder thing, which is to heal. And I'm going to do it right in front of your very eyes. So when I heal him, I hope you will believe that I can forgive him. And that's exactly what happened, verse 7. And the man got up and went home. This is the authority of the Son of Man. I can forgive and I can heal. And you ain't seen nothing yet, says Jesus here, basically. Because the best is yet to come. Because as Jesus looked into the eyes of that paralytic and said to him, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. He, he, he knew where that forgiveness would be bought and paid for. He knew the cross was up ahead, just a few years away, where the forgiveness of this man and every man and every woman was bought, where he bore the punishment we all deserve. You see, the cross is central to this story as well, because this story is about forgiveness. Now, it's easy to preach this passage without reference to to the cross. We could say, be like the four men, you know, break a few roofs, get people into Jesus, have some compassion on the sick. There's all kinds of stories that you, or lessons you could pull out of that story, but they're sub-points. They're not the main point. The main point is that Jesus is Lord over sin. As we conclude this morning, I think Jesus is asking us a question this morning. Do you want to know who I am? Really? Do you really want to know who I am? Because his answer is, among other things, (laughs) among many things... I am Lord over creation. I am Lord over evil, and I'm Lord over sin. That's who I am. So don't fear. Don't fear what's going on in the world. Don't fear the storms. Don't fear the sin that is destroying our society. Don't fear sickness and illness. Don't fear any of those things. Don't fear, trust me, because I'm bigger and better and greater than these things. I can fix the broken people. I can fix the broken world. I can forgive sin. I am God. Lord, over creation and evil and sin. And yes, we ought to be amazed. And we ought to be filled with awe. And we certainly should not say, Jesus, stay away from me. Stay away from us. Do you want to know who I am, says Jesus? This is who I am. Believe me. And I will change you. And I will change your life. And your family. And your world. That's who he is. Let me pray.